Well, good morning, Berean. It's good to see you here on another snowy day. We talk about the snow every time it snows. You know why? Because snow is terrible. Some of you right now are thinking, oh, no, no, snow is pretty, it's nice. No, it's terrible. I don't know what you're thinking about. It's not fun to live in snowy areas. Um, just kidding, kind of. Hey, thanks for coming today. It's good to be with you as always. Uh, I want to share a quick story with you. Um, I've told you a few times now, I, I worked at General Motors for 12 years, and uh, the first half of those 12 years were kind of, well, we'll call them my BC years, not really walking with the Lord before Christ, right? I wasn't really walking with the Lord, and then about halfway through my time at General Motors, um, I recommitted my life to Christ, and I was on fire for sharing the good news of Jesus. So uh, many times on an assembly line, you, you, you may have a truck that was built somewhere in like 2004 to 2009 that doesn't run real well. Well, listen, it's because I was evangelizing people I was working with, so maybe not be so upset about it, you know what I mean? But anyways, it, God had blessed it. There'd be so many times where seriously, it was just the neatest thing where I'd be leading somebody in a, in a sinner's prayer, right? As, as trucks are moving down the line and we're working, um, there's times where we went out to somebody's car and, and during break and we, we talked and prayed there. Um, and, and I'd love to tell you that every day that I went into work, though, was one of those days. One of those days where, one, I shared my faith, or two, somebody responded favorably to that. There were, there were plenty of times where I shared my faith and people just kind of, you know, talked down to me or were not interested whatsoever. Those times happened pretty frequently as well. But then there were other times. I'd show up to work, and let me be honest with you, not like anybody around me. So I would get quiet. Does anybody ever go to work and not really love the people necessarily that they're working with and, and just kind of get quiet and kind of just be to yourself? Don't raise your hand. It's not confession time. Just in your head, you know. We, we probably have those days. Well, one day in particular was a little bit convicting, Working in Pontiac East Assembly Plant. I don't know what the year it was, but it was obviously the second half of my career. And I'm working with this lady, and this lady would not stop talking. I mean, she just, I'm sorry, she wouldn't shut up. Like, for anything. And I am writing at the time, I can't remember if it was a sermon or if it was a paper that I was writing for, for college. And I was writing about evangelism. And she wouldn't stop talking to me. And she wouldn't quit swearing. So all this filthy language, and I'm over here going, lady, would you shut up? I'm trying to write about evangelism. <laughs> you know, as that thought kind of crossed my mind, I go, oh, <laughs> perhaps the Lord is trying to show me something. You know, we can be motivated as followers of Jesus Christ by several different things, just like anybody, right? When it comes to evangelism, we, we could be even motivated by pride. Like, look how many people I can lead to Jesus with, my, with, the, with the way I can um, orchestrate my words and, and the conversation, and I can lead people into this point of decision. We, we can be motivated by obedience. And you know what? If nothing else, be motivated by obedience, church. If there is no other motivation for you to share your faith, do it out of obedience. But even that, I don't think, is the best motivation. It's a good motivation. It's a proper motivation, but not the best. You see, I think we should be sharing our faith in Jesus Christ with those around us out of love, out of concern, and with a sense of urgency. Bottom line is this. 
We, we have been given this incredible gift of salvation, one in which we do not deserve. I mean, that's the nature of a gift, right? If we deserve it, it's a wage. If it's given to us, it's a gift. This is a gift. We have been given this gift that we do not deserve. And even as somebody who's been walking this walk now for several years, I, we, we sing this song, you know, our sins that are many, His mercy is more. Man, that struck a chord with me this morning. Just realizing, even still, man, my sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. Friends, I want that for you. I want that for your neighbors. I want that for your family. I want that for our community. I want our community to know that while our sins are, they are many, His mercy is more. And, and I want to be concerned for them. I want to be concerned for their eternity. I, I want to be concerned for the reality in which they face if they don't repent and come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because here's the thing, guys. Hell is real. God's judgment isn't just some fairy tale. It is a thing. Let us be motivated by love, by concern for the souls of those who are around us. And let us do so with a sense of urgency. We're in a series in Revelation, and we're going to be kind of uh, zooming through chapters 8 and 10 today. Don't be too scared. We will go kind of quickly here, and we're going to kind of focus in on one thing. But in these three chapters, I hope that you become even more motivated by love, by concern, and with a sense of urgency for those who are around you. We're going to start off in Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, as I, as I share that story, it just strikes me this morning. I don't remember that woman's name. I don't remember the tenor of the conversation that we had since then. But God, I pray for her soul. If you haven't already, God, I pray that you draw her to you. God, your judgment is real. Every one of us, believer or not, will bend a knee before you. And God, if we don't have you as our Lord and Savior, we are already condemned. Help us as the church. Help us as individuals in this church to be motivated to share the good news of your salvation. Help us fight through awkwardness. God, help us to realize that on our own we aren't enough, but as we are doing your will, you are more than enough. And we know that sharing our faith is part of your will. God, as we go to your word today, may your spirit enlighten us. May your spirit speak in and through me this morning that we may all take a step closer to you as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, Revelation 8, 1 through 5. I feel so awkward with a tie on. I feel like there should be a couple in front of me or, you know what, forget it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood before the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. As we look at this, the first thing I want us to notice is the quiet before the storm. If you've read this before, I wonder if this has stood out to you, that there was all of heaven, there was silence for about a half an hour. I was a little boy in, in Union Lake, Michigan. It's not even a town anymore. They lost their uh, post office some time ago, so... Uh, but Union Lake, Michigan, where, where I grew up, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably five or six or seven years old. And my dad came into my bedroom and woke me up. And, and he says, Danny, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And uh, I remember being a little bit frightened because dad was clearly frightened. And mom was clearly frightened. And we had this small little 700-square-foot house that we grew up in that sat on a crawl space. Uh, anybody have a crawl space or, you know what I mean, the little dirt floor? It's probably about this high of clearance. Um, even as a kid, I think I had a duck to walk through there. But they took us outside. We had to go into that crawl space because there was a tornado warning in our area. There's a tornado that had touched down in our area and was headed in our direction. The thing that I will never forget is when we came outside, I don't remember what time it was. You know, I was young enough to where I could have been going to bed before it was dark out. But the sky was like this weird light, like green. There wasn't any rain. There wasn't any wind. There was just this eerie silence. Like you could hear a pin drop as we make our way into this little crawl space where we have this little radio and we turn it on and wait for the all clear down there. The storm, by the way, did come in and the tornado had this like huge path of just destruction, not probably a quarter mile, half mile from my house. It did come pretty close. But even the aftermath, that doesn't really stand out to me. What really stood out to me was that quiet before the storm. It was this eerie silence. You guys have all experienced that in some way in your life, right? Just this weird, eerie silence. All of heaven, all of heaven went quiet for 30 minutes. This is a thick time. It's just you can feel it. The silence is palpable. Why? Because what about it, what's about to take place? Revelation 8, 1 again, the, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. All of heaven goes quiet. And over the next three chapters, we learn why I think everybody got real quiet. Because they realized what was about to take place. They realized God's vengeance is about to be poured out on earth. And it's serious business. It's serious business. I want you all to take just a second. Everybody, would you just close your eyes for a moment? You know, as we sing these praise songs and worship songs, sometimes I can just imagine being before the throne, that behold our God. I can imagine the choir of the angels and all of the saints singing out to God. I want you to imagine that with me. And then imagine the utter silence for 30 minutes. 
as we realize what's about to take place. As we realize that God's vengeance is about to be poured out on earth and it's real and it's serious and there's going to be destruction, there's going to be death, there's going to be devastation. It's real. You still have your eyes closed, open them before you fall asleep. The martyrs that we spoke about last week in last week's sermon are finally going to be avenged. Remember them saying, how long, O Lord, how long will we wait? But we find out at this point, this is how long they will wait and this is about to happen. There was a quiet before the storm and the storm was going to be significant. God's judgment, friends, will be massive. God's judgment will be massive. It will be severe. Have you ever been punished and been terrified? Boy, I, I, so many times I can think of. There's, this was one of those hard things to like, narrow it down. I was not a good kid. I gave people lots of reason to punish me severely. But one time in particular, I think it was probably the most scared I've ever been. Coach Cop, our football coach, he was probably about this tall. And he stuffed probably 800 pounds of anger in his little body. This kid, he was always bright red. I mean, always just bright red. And he was just, he's not like today's football coaches. It's like, hey guys, you did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. You win by 30 and he's like, what's the matter with you? It should have been 35. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. He was terrifying little man. Well, again, I told you I wasn't a very good kid. We were walking to a... Um, I can't remember exactly what was going on. I think we were going over a game or something. But we were walking through the hallway in the school, and there was these doors that were open. And inside of these doors, just like this light radiated out of it. Just, ah, kind of a thing. It was full of, like, soda. Or pop in Ohio and Michigan, I guess. It was full of, like, like 12 packs of, of, of Coke and all that kind of stuff. And I'm carrying a bag, and a bunch of kids with me are carrying bags. We kind of look at the, look at the pop, look at our bags. Look at each other, <laughs> up and down the hall, we're good, we got this. So we all stuff our bags with pop that we stole from the school. See, I confess sins too. And uh, by the time I get to the football coach, where we're, he had this chalkboard, I remember we're sitting in these stands, we must have been going over either game or some plays or something, and uh, Coach Cop comes in and he looks even more angry than he normally does. And he starts chewing us out. Somebody had told on us for stealing this pop. He starts getting so angry. He picks up a chair, throws it at the chalkboard. It all falls down. And he looks at me. He's like, Kraus, come here. I'm like, no, nah, man. <laughs> That's not going to happen today. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified. But you know, Coach Cop, as angry as that little man was, his vengeance pales pales in comparison with what people are going to see who don't know Jesus. I mean, it pales in comparison. Coach Cop's fury had nothing on what God was about to do when that seventh seal was opened. And these seven trumpets were blown. Let's continue in Revelation 8, 6-13. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. And there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, green grass, was burned up. 
The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into a sea. the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. As bad as we see it getting, there's going to be three woes and it's going to get worse. It's going to even get worse. We have a seven seals, remember, and seven trumpets, and there's seven bowls. We said, I think, a couple of times during this series, this number seven is, 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 uh, is, is, is symbolic of perfection or completion. There is a complete judgment that is about to take place. And we see this seven three times, which is also important. There are three judgments. Seven times each is important to note. In Revelation, God isn't just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Of course, we know about the three as a trinity. But here we have three complete judgments. Three often points to God's sovereignty over sin as we go through Scripture. And in Revelation 12 and 13 that we're going to be reading and getting to here shortly, not today, but we learn about the unholy trinity, another three the evil one, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We know, I'm sorry, what we know is three judgments, each happening seven times is complete judgment of sin by a God who is sovereign over sin. And the destruction is going to be great. The judgment is going to be severe. We don't know, of course, when this is going to happen, but we know that it will. And we know that the judgment will be brutal, it will be severe and there will be nowhere to hide. These seven trumpets, we're just kind of looking at six today. First, there's going to be hail and fire falling from the sky. Then there's going to be mountains burning and thrown into the sea. A third of the sea is going to become blood. Then on the third trumpet, the star falls. Maybe this is a meteor. Contaminates a third of the drinking water. I remember being taught as a kid that a third of the world's drinking water comes from the Great Lakes. Just an interesting thought. Anybody have a house on Lake Erie? You might want to move. <laughs> Don't look too far into the theology of that statement, okay? And then we have a third of the daylight lost. And then we have the first of three woes, meaning again it's about to get very worse, or much worse. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. 
They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plants or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Why are they going to seek death? Have you ever been hurting so bad where you're just like, God, just take me? Whether it's emotional, whether it's physical or whatever. Many of us know the, or we think we know some of this feeling, right? But remember all of the things that have already happened at this point in time. And now these, these, these uh, locusts that sting like scorpions are everywhere. You can't hide from them. You're being tormented nonstop for five months. Wishing for death, but nobody could find it. Let's read on, verses 7 through 11. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were uh, what looked like crowns of gold, their faces like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like uh, the noise. I'm sorry, the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and horses ru- rushing into battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and the Greek they call him Apollyon. Here in this judgment, here in this judgment we have four. Uh, we're going to continue on here. Here in this judgment we have four demonic angels released from the Euphrates River to kill one-third of mankind after all of what we've just read. Millions of demonic spirits are about to be unleashed to kill after what we've already seen. Revelation 9, 13 through 21. We're not going to read all of 9 and 10, by the way. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of their horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails was like a serpent's with heads. And by means of them, they wound. Guys, are we getting a picture here of how bad this is going to be during these seven trumpets? And as bad as it is, guys, the next part to me is even more tragic as we continue to read. Listen to this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone of wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even after all that has happened, the people who are left here to suffer and to be judged during this period of time do not repent from their sins. Guys, we have a window 
to share our faith with the world around us. And that window is gradually closing. We need to have a sense of urgency. We need to have a sense of urgency. We don't have forever. This world doesn't have forever. There will become a time where it is too late to share your faith and for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There will come a time where it will be too late. On the seventh trumpet, we'll come back to this later on in a different sermon. His judgment will be severe. It will be massive. And no one's going to be able to escape it. Those who are left here on earth will not be able to escape. And then we have this aftertaste of God's judgment. Again, I think a lot about this 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Just the, the feeling of the seriousness of what about, what's about to take place. Remember we have, you know, all through the, the Psalms, God take vengeance, you know, vengeance is yours, Lord. We, we have in, in Revelation, we even talked about the, the martyred saints. How long, O oh Lord, before you take and avenge what has happened to us. Then we get to Revelation 10, 8 through 11. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it, take and eat it. It, may, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What is this honey and this bitterness, the sweetest honey and this bitter in the stomach? Well, I think we can link it back to the half an hour of silence. We need to be careful when we see a lost world and, and we, we want God to step in and judge it. Because that judgment is coming. And for a moment, we might take joy in that judgment. But when we see how devastating it is, it's going to be hard to take. I wonder, are we going to be thinking about those opportunities that we had to share our faith with Jesus, of Jesus Christ with somebody who doesn't know Him? I wonder how many times that we've already judged the lost. You won't, you won't believe anyways. I'm not going to bother telling you. You know, we might not say those words, but we certainly think it. Right? Do you know anybody in your family, in your group of friends, in your neighborhood, where you think, I'm not even going to try, they're not going to listen? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm done trying. You know, when we do that and that's what our heart is, we've already judged them. You know who else we've judged? The power of God through His Holy Spirit to reach the lost. Guys, I was unreachable. I had heard the good news. I had rejected it. I lived my life how I wanted to live it. Yet my grandmother, my uncles, prayed for me every day. 
You know how easy it would have been as a family member to see me in the life I was living and say, we tried. We tried, but you know, he's not listening. When we say that, when we think that, when we posture ourselves in that way, we've cast judgment on someone already. Can I tell you, people probably should have given up on me. People probably should have given up on you. By the power of God. Listen, if God could show me, He can show you, He can show those people who we think are lost causes. Oh, you don't understand. This person is, 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 is bittered. They are, they are rude. They're hard to be around. Listen, I get it. I get it. At least do this. Commit to pray for them. Just pray for them. Say, God, this is your people. This is your message. I just pray that you will penetrate this person's heart. Are you at least willing to pray for somebody every day, knowing what they are going to face outside of Jesus Christ? We need to be willing to at least pray and see what God might do. Let's not cast judgment on people who are going to face judgment. Let's have pity for them. Let's have mercy on them. Let's do what we can do. Let's put forth the effort both in prayer and in awkward conversations to ensure those people who God has put in us in our inner circle don't have to face this kind of judgment. I think we all want to see when, when evil happens, we want to see judgment we want to see justice done. Guys, I do too. But if justice was done in my life, I would face an eternity in hell. That's justice. That's what I have deserved. That's what I have earned. But we still live in an era where God is giving mercy and grace. That era isn't eternal. There will come a final judgment. We don't know when it's going to be. We do know that Jesus will return. We don't know when he's going to return. We better be ready for that return. How are we going to be ready? By taking a step closer to him. Leaning on Jesus. Asking him to use us for his kingdom. Do you want to be found in Jesus' return? Sitting around being bitter towards the world? Or do you want to be found trying to reach it? Somebody came and knocked on your door one day. Somebody didn't stop calling you. Somebody kept praying for you when you were hard to be around. Let's not forget that. Let's be, let's be a humbled people. Not one of us have earned our salvation. Nobody here. In fact, nobody in the world has earned their salvation. It is a free gift of God to a people who don't deserve it. And the reality of what's coming is severe. It is serious business. Serious business. What is our response and how do we respond to all this? I think we have a threefold response at least. Number one, pray for the lost. Pray for them. You, you know people in your circle. Pray for them. 
If you don't have time, stop doing something so you have time. Number two, become experts at sharing our faith. Does that mean you have to be super clever, all those kind of things? No. You know what an expert at sharing your faith is? Somebody who's willing to do it. It's not your words anyways that's going to pierce the heart. It's the power of God. Isn't it incredible that he wants to use us to display his power and through us and our communication and our, and our connections with people that he's going to bring people to him? Is that not incredible? Pray for the lost. Become experts at sharing our faith. Don't delay. Number three, don't delay evangelism. That phone call, make it today. Interrupt somebody's halftime show. Probably inappropriate anyways. Make the call today. Do something. Do something. I'm going to ask the band to come back out on stage as we close this morning. Guys, again, Jesus is returning. We don't know when it's going to be. We better be ready. His judgment is serious business. His judgment will be massive. We better be ready because the stakes are really, really high. That judgment's going to be severe. I want us to remember the holiness of God and the seriousness of sin. Because God is holy, our sin separates us from Him. But guys, there's an answer, and that answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus, and we're still living in an era where we can experience His mercy and His grace in a new way. We're still living in an era where we have an opportunity with lungs in our breath, or a breath in our lungs to go share the good news with those who are around us. If you refuse to evangelize, can you actually say you're following Jesus as your Lord? Because He makes this pretty clear, guys. He doesn't say, well, if you get around to it or you feel like maybe sharing your faith, you can go ahead and do that, but you don't need to. This is serious. He tells us very clearly to share our faith, to tell others about Him. Be motivated by obedience at first if you need to. But pray that God gives you a heart for evangelism. Dear only Father God, we see a picture in this judgment of a time that's going to come where there will be no more time for evangelism. But God, right now we have hope. We have hope that you could use us to reach those who are around us. God, we see in your judgment the seriousness of sin and your holiness that not forever will you be willing to look down on a sinful and evil world, but there will come a day where you will judge it and it will be severe. God, on one hand, help us to realize the seriousness of our sin and in light of your holiness. And another, Lord, help us to have pity on those around us. Help us to be motivated by love, by care, by concern for those who don't know you. And God, give us a sense of urgency. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.